Evening. Uh, we've made it to episode three of Roleplay Life. Um, I am Gareth uh, from the sunny climbs of Lancaster, uh, and we're going to argue about this. I know below me is uh, my good friend John, oh, and wow. to my left is Daniel, um, all the way in Warrington. Uh, this week we're going to be a little bit different because it's almost review week this week, right, guys? It does seem that way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a weird one. So, at the moment, I've had some time off, uh, and I have been playing a game called Agilos. Uh, we're sticking with that pronunciation, as none of the three of us have a clue. Uh, John has been playing 13 Sentinels. And I believe... That's not its full title. It's 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim. I assume it's due to the 13 Sentinels game series that exists. There, there is no thirteen sentinels. No, no, it's just, it's, oh. it's just, yeah. it's just words smashed together. But hey, uh, that, that's as, the name. We're going to say it properly if we're going to talk about it. And Dan will be talking about Baldur's Gate Three. Um, Tiny game. Nobody's heard of that game. Yeah, no. Yeah, no one. I mean, it, it's only on its third installment, and it has no ramifications to any other tabletop. Role-play, fantasy, no. world, or canon. Um, so it's completely original. I think it's a bold move starting at three. It is. Uh, no one, no two, <laughs> yeah. just yeah. three. Coming out yeah. into uh, the unknown as number three. It's it's a bold move. I, th- I think uh, Larian Games might have a good chance of getting away with it, though. Yeah, yeah. You think it's, you yeah. Think it's a popular enough uh, trope that they're following? Yeah, yeah. What, Dungeons & Dragons right now, where everyone mm. is stuck inside and playing games online? Yeah. They, they might just be hitting the right uh. <laughs> time for putting out such a venture. Well, but, I yeah. did look at some of the stats for concurrent players. It's a joke, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah, okay. So, uh, uh, Gareth, which way are we going with this? Um, I think we'll, as has been the format for the last two, we've started with John, so let's start strong, and then I'll falter us out in the middle, and then wow. we'll finish strong with Dan. Ah, yes, okay. All right. So, tell us about your experiences so far, John. Okay, I want to do a quick run-through, a quick poll on how people feel about different things, okay? So, how do people feel about anime? Yeah, fine. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. How do we feel about giant robots? Love them. Better um, than anime, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I once had an argument many years ago with a guy and the argument was that it's not anime without giant robots. This was like circa Gundam and... <laughs> Evangelion? Thank you very much. And he refused to acknowledge me for a long period of time, and it was the smartest move I ever made. <laughs> so, we're okay on uh, anime, giant robots, uh, giant monsters. They kind of go with, with mechs, but you know, you, you do expect if there is giant robots, they've got to fight something. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and cute girls. How do we feel about cute girls? Um, hmm. I mean, <laughs> that was the one all, I was expected to get stuck on, but okay. Yeah, all three of us may or may not be taken. I have. So, you know. I have a question. I have a question with this. Are we talking cute girls, or are we talking waifus, or are we talking lollies? Uh, how how spectrum? No it doesn't fall into lolly traps, not yet anyway. I'm only about six hours into 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. I'm not going to say that full title every time. Um, <laughs> so, this game is a visual novel, and that falls into 
60% storytelling and 40% tower defense gameplay. Now, the tower defense gameplay has RPG elements into it. Because uh, tower defense isn't normally my thing, but everything that's gone on so far in this game is 100% exactly my type of thing. And I'm loving it so far. I Like I said, only five, four, five, five or six hours in, but I'm loving it. So, the gameplay takes, uh, takes place in Japan, of course. And you take uh, control of one of 13 teenagers, your 13 sentinels, your protagonists. The sentinels are actually the name of the robots. You wouldn't be surprised. Um, so they're all of high school age. And in the beginning, uh, everyone is talking about weird dreams that they're having. And you soon come to the realization that they're having the same dreams. And the game moves around in uh, time travel and... Um, timelines and different things and characters have different names and it it's it's sort of like a, a a kind of a mystery type game with with lots of other tropes thrown in so the game is made by vanillaware which uh if you two might be familiar with made the dragon crown uh game a few years ago uh okay. which is infamous for its um depictions of women shall we put Okay, was this one of those ones that got banned from Twitch streaming or something like that because there was partial nudity? Is that that I one? I don't think there's partial. I hmm, I don't know about that one. There, there might be. It there might not be. I'm not sure. So, um, Vanillaware went in a different direction with this game. You'll be glad to know. Uh, the proportions of the female characters are quite normal by Vanillaware standards, except for one character. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, the uh, the nurse character. Uh, let's just say she's very healthy. Okay. 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 So, but nurse, apart from that, nurse Jenny is what you're saying, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so apart from that, John, John is uh, a natural Brock to most women. So. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not, I have no comebacks for that. Anyway, so the characters are normal for vanillaware standards, which is which is good because. The problem I've had with Vanillaware games before is that all of them are beautiful. They're all picturesque in a painterly sort of anime styling, which is great. Um, they seem to have a, a fetish for food, by the way. If you've ever seen food in Vanillaware games, it's the, the most beautiful food you've ever seen prepared okay, in your okay. life. I'm glad you clarified that after our conversation yeah, from yeah, the start yeah. of last podcast. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but usually the problem I have is that Vanillaware games have this thing about hypersexualizing the the women characters that are in their games and it it brings you out of the game to be honest i mean i'm not a 14 year old boy in case you hadn't noticed that thing doesn't appeal for me that there is a place on the internet for that kind of thing already i'm there for a gameplay and being immersed into this world whereas vanillaware's games are brilliant until you get to that point which and and the women and the depictions of them just pull you straight out of that experience but but that's not here that's not 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. So uh, the front's not putting you off then? No, it's not. Um, so whilst the majority of the game is uh, in a picturesque sort of Japanese uh, setting, and because there's time travel, there's different eras of Japan. It goes from, I think it's uh, 1944 all the way up to 2089, I think I've come across. 2180. Oh, Oops, I've just read the Wikipedia. Ignore me. Thanks, Dan. 
That's fine. It's just a number. You know what? <laughs> it's just a number. Exactly. It's fine. Age is just a number. Sorry, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> no, I am joking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. But yeah, sorry, I did Wikipedia this, obviously. I've not played it myself, but prior to John's talking point, I did want to read into it. So sorry for that spoiler. So what's the time travel got to do with the gameplay? Right. So you take control of one of your protagonists, who then in turn controls a sentinel, which... Uh, has been built in some point in the timeline, which I'm not privy to just yet, and has been sent throughout time to give defense against the kaiju. Or in this yep. game, they're called the Deimos. Uh They are uh, what seem to be like half-robot, like half-monster characters. And we're not sure where they've come from. All we know is that they're trying to bury deep down into the middle of Japan somewhere... Uh, and destroy something. It's very Evangelion like in that that trope. In, if you guys have seen it, Ava. Um, but yes, the the storytelling aspect of it is taking place on this this wonderful picturesque Japan setting. But the combat isn't. The combat is very different. In fact, like the the combat takes place on like an isometric map with. Um, neon lines that depict the the roads that your sentinels can move upon uh and uh neon markers for your sentinels uh which are blue and uh red ones for the enemy and uh combat is uh active it's an active time uh based battle and you make your moves in turn and then the enemy makes their turn but it's all moving very quickly, so you need to be knowing what you're doing. The only time it pauses is when you're making a decision in the in what your sentinels are doing, and that is fine. I I'm only in the tutorial setting. Like I got through the tutorial, and then it asked which uh, difficulty I wanted the game at. So I've not had. And a... you're six hours in. Yes. I, yeah, I know. Um, but that's not a problem. I, I I'm enjoying the game. Like you're there for the story mostly. In fact, the uh, casual setting is basically just says you're there for the story. I've said to oh, yeah, okay, okay, which is like you you want some challenge, and then there's intense, which is like you want your battles to be very difficult. Um, so yes, I I am very much immersed into this game. I'm I'm in my mid thirties, and I'm sort of a cynical gamer. You may have got that from if you've listened to the other two episodes of this this podcast. Cynical, you? Yeah. So, <laughs> for me to get invested into a video game is actually quite kind of difficult, and I, I find myself like falling off of games quite often these days. But I, I can't see myself uh, falling off of this. This this has hooked me like a game hasn't for quite a while. Uh, I have so many questions. Um, there are time jumps, there are character skips, characters with different names. Um, there's, there's a lot there to, to keep you mentally invested into the game, and I'm, and I'm enjoying that. I mean, the game is called 13 Sentinels, but the Sentinels that I've met so far have gone from uh, number 10 to 23. What happens to the other Sentinels? Where, where are those? Mm-hmm. So, I wonder whether you find out. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I mean, there's maybe they're the villains. <laughs> maybe we don't know. So uh, there are references to um, all kinds of things because, like, the game does take place in the 80s as well. There are VHS tapes. There are students uh, swapping videotapes of movies. 
that are called UFO Wars, which is Star Wars because it says it's a it's a well running series made in 1977. Okay, yep, yep. Uh, there yep. is a UFO um, Dinos, which is Godzilla because it's made in 1954 and talks about like uh, a great series of these wonderful monster movies. There is yeah. one that is ET, which is called uh, something else UFO related, um, and there's loads of references to to movies. If you if you're into sci fi movies and that kind of thing, there are loads of references to those kinds of things. So it's, is this a little bit like um, this is going to be my little segue? Uh, I watched Onwards recently with Oscar, and one of the but it's an eighties it's an eighties teen movie. It's a throwback. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. an 80s teen movie, but the characters are elves and centaurs and stuff, and they play like uh, Chris Pratt's characters obsessed with uh, Quest of Yore, which is basically D&D. Yeah. Uh, and stuff like that, but is like, it's set in the 80s, he's listening to cassettes, uh, they're watching, uh, she watches an exercise video, like a Jane Fonda video. Yeah. Um, and when John was just saying about that, my brain just was like, ah, the 80s, a simpler time. Yeah, definitely. Those 80s, when I wasn't alive. Yep. Yeah, don't listen to yep. it. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> no, I'm I'm loving this game so far. Uh, I know you. Sorry, it's my daughter going to bed. I know. Anyway, um, there is one thing I would like to say uh, just before I come to the end of my little chat about how much I love this game, is that... Um, so there are lots of references. I also think that the game is uh, quite a lot like a, an anime series called uh, Bokurano. Bokurano. I, I, I may be you know what? absolutely butchering I, I, I'm of the exact same mindset as you. I will watch anime series to the end of the world, but you ask me to pronounce it, I'll any of them sound. I am telling you, I'm like, hmm. Um, the only thing I hope that doesn't happen is that that actual series is incredibly depressing. Uh, most of the characters die, or yeah, I couldn't actually watch it all. So I hope that it doesn't turn out to be that kind of uh, story. Um, there are, I mean, I'm a little bit past the intro, and I have noticed that one character ends up dead so far. So hopefully, hopefully, most of them make it out, and we have some happy ending. Uh, <laughs> that's another thing I'd like to point out that the game does seem to have multiple paths open. So I'm wondering if there might be multiple endings as well. So. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm very excited about this game. Uh, I'm glad I picked it up. If anyone is looking to get it, uh, I would suggest that you get it soon. It is an Atlas game. Atlas are um, notorious for uh, printing very few copies of their games uh, if you like physical media. Um, I should point out this is a PlayStation 4 only game, by the way. It's not been announced yeah. for any other platforms as yet. Uh, Vanillaware, I don't think, do multiple platform things. I think they are very PlayStation-centric. I know that yeah. their first game, uh, Muramasa, was on the Wii, but I think that's the only example of that kind of game of theirs showing up on a different platform. When was Muramasa released? In the Wii era, so maybe 2010, something like that. That's what I thought. They've actually released one more before that, I think. I've just read. Yeah, it's... Um... Odin Sphere. Odin Sphere. I have that on PS4. I think that is on a different platform. I might be wrong about that. I'm just uh, trying to find where I put it. Drusier, that's what it's called. Yeah. Oh, Gareth has left the building. What, what's up, Gareth? Why did I expect to reply? He's away from his microphone. He's, yeah, he's not got his headphone on. Okay. Um, 
but yeah, I, I'm I'm enjoying this game. It has me hooked, like a good mystery should. Um, I don't know. Have you guys ever played like any visual novel games? Um, I downloaded a couple when they were free on PSN, but then I ended up deleting them before I got around to playing them, just because I, I wanted to download something else. Uh, the closest I've got is uh, watching you stream Danganronpa. Oh yeah, yeah. I there's a lot of people that like that series. I, I don't know how I feel about it. I I like some aspects of it, and other aspects of that particular series may be quite angry, um, just because the characters are, let's say, divisive. <laughs> Did I make you angry? Sorry, with Danganronpa. Did I make you angry with Danganronpa? You make me angry every day. Don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, Gareth. <laughs> uh, you can't start? respond to that. Then? <laughs> no, I can. Should I say to Dan the reason um, I, I may have annoyed John? I, I don't know remember. if you remember this. No, I don't. Uh, I worked out who the villain was, um, yes. like right at the beginning, and everyone was like, "Oh, you're wrong. You're so wrong. You're completely wrong." And then I, I, I lauded it up for, throughout John's chat for ages. I, I was right. I was right. Um, were, you, were you singing at home? Be honest. Uh, we, we can find out. We'll, we'll ask you, son. It's fine. <laughs> uh, you, you wouldn't be able to ask him because it had been probably at his mum's at the time. Uh, <laughs> without spoiling who it is, uh, you can. there was a clue on the character's costume that she was related well, I've given a bit of a spoiler, yeah. uh, that they were related to uh, the the villainous character in the game. Um, and I commented it absolutely loads, and John completely dismissed it. And I yeah, was like... You. <laughs> <laughs> well... But um, later on, when it, it turned out there was like um, a switcheroo-like scenario... Um, because wasn't that when Truman, who was mine and John's first DM, uh, was also one of the viewers? Yeah. And he was getting like super hyped and into the theories and into the logic and all this, that, and the other. Yep. And he was wrong. <laughs> well, yeah. Which was. Yeah. You can tell if you if you listen, you can tell how much Gareth actually you know is proud of this moment. Um, <laughs> you know what? I could say that I'd noticed, John. I yeah. could. You know. Just. I used to do a similar thing with my sister, uh, with Jonathan Creek as oh, well. Uh, if you're not, if you're not aware of what Jonathan Creek is, it's basically you don't want to know. Mystery, it's fine. Uh, set, <laughs> uh, in the UK, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a lateral thinking uh, detective show with um, Alan Davis playing a magician's a magician's assistant, the guy who invents the magic tricks for a stage magician, and that he usually ends up solving the crimes in a sort of Agatha Christie kind of lateral thinking method uh, and the amount of times I'd be watching an episode or something I'd be like, he did it and my sister would be like, how? And I went, I don't know how he did it, but I can tell from the way the narrative and everything's going, he did it Okay, so I would like to say that I don't think uh, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim uh, is going to turn out like that I, I, I yeah. have made a few predictions whilst I've been like uh, playing, but I, I haven't had any conclusions uh, I've just been enjoying the ride. Uh, what is. I would say, by the way, uh, to anyone who is interested in that kind of game uh, and has some free time, there is a free game on Steam called Doki Doki Literature Club, uh, which is available for free 
for anyone who is interested in that kind of thing. And it is well worth uh, a look. I mean, it's free and has a good, like, five or six hours of gameplay in it. And is entertaining. Um, I think you can probably get more than five or six hours out of Doki Doki Literature Club because um, of the way the story goes and you can replay it. And when you replay it, the game knows that you're playing it again. Because it's, it's very self-aware, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've so I've not played this at all. I do not own a PS4, so I googled it, and uh, uh, you know, I went through a couple of reviews. But more importantly, I'm on the Wikipedia page, so I'm gonna do my usual bit and provide a bit of background nonsense about these games, Please. which is that. Um, so it was originally slated for <sighs> PS4 and the PS Vita in 2019. Well, let's go back to its inception, 2015. Yes. You know how they yes. when they went to an unnamed toy manufacturer and said, look, we'd like to do a range of toys. And then five years later, they're like, oh, actually, we have a video game instead. Um, when you say unnamed toy manufacturer, was it the kind of toy manufacturer that fetches out a, a level of anger towards me? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Right. I, I would mention them by name. It's more, more exciting for the content than if I did. Um, but it, it actually is listed as unnamed because... They, they, they went to the press themselves and said it, but then didn't declare the name, so right. it could be anything. Um, but um, originally scheduled for a 2018 release, it was pushed back to 2019, um, and that was the release. It was November 2019 it was released in Japan. But due to COVID, the localization didn't happen as quick over here um, and over there for obvious reasons. Um, so because i just oh, like to on. say quickly that the localization is brilliant. Uh, there have definitely been some... Cases in the past where localization has not been up to snuff. But I like to think that most major releases, especially from Atlas in particular, uh, have been really, really good uh, yeah. lately in the past few I, years. So I think that's one of the reasons they delayed it, honestly. I mean, you know, they, they had the COVID situation, and, and whilst everyone was like, oh, well, the voice actors, you know, they're, they're, all, they're all at home, they can all do the recording. Not every single voice actor in the, in the world has an entire setup. They like to be in studios because usually these are table reads that occur, so it's it's all very different. But um, but yeah, so then September twenty second this year, it's now been released. So it's been out for uh, you know two weeks. So you've you've had it for what a week? Um, uh, no, I bought it on Saturday. So oh right, okay. I, then. I promised myself that I would only buy this once I edited the uh, the the second episode of our podcast. So it was ah. a little treat for myself. A little treat, and then for anyone who we're just going to pull back the curtain, we actually record these on Mondays. So um, what you're actually hearing is immediately after the podcast release. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it took me all week. I, I have a full time job, so I mean, it's not the the uh, the, the most uh, easiest thing to do when you're a parent as well. Uh, just you know, get my my pity party going. Um, it took me a while to to do that. So let's uh, play the violin for John. Nice. Um, yeah. But um, but then just the, the final point about this is yeah. that um, you know um, I, I have looked into it a little bit. I'm not going to spoil anything else for you since I already spoiled one thing for you. Yeah, please don't. Um, I know how it's going to end um, or how. Ah, oh. <laughs> but um, and the reason why it is important. I think you know do know this bit is that the fact that it isn't. Um, it isn't a um, a continuous. It jumps around a lot, and I'm trying oh, to think it of what it's does. called. Yeah, you. you What's it you, called when that happens? Uh, time s- uh, <coughs> slip or time stream <coughs> or something like that. Um, oh, sorry, I, me- I meant the format in general. It's a non linear non linear story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, sorry, there's a there's a term in the game. Technical term, yeah. For yeah, 
Um, so I mean, it, it looks interesting. It's not 100% my thing. Um, I am not a massive fan of visual novels, if I'm honest, um, purely because like, if I'm not going to lie, and it makes me feel really lazy when I'm saying this, but if it's a visual novel game, style game, why can't I just watch an anime? Because uh, there are choices to be made. Yeah, I guess. And there are combat but, elements. So yeah, the, the the combat elements is different, I suppose, with so, this thing. Let, let me justify it a little bit more, because I, when I got through the tutorial area, it gave me this um, the, these three specific areas that I could choose from. So I, I could choose to either do some missions, uh, some combat, or I could choose to do some story elements, or I could look into the lore of the characters. Um, and there's a, there's a nice loop that goes on. You can do it in whichever role, uh, whichever way that you wish. So if you're getting tired of story elements, you can go and do some combat or read um, right. some lore. And uh, the way that that works is that when you do well in combat, you get uh, points that will unlock things in the lore section, uh, as well as story elements will unlock more options in the lore section. So there's a nice loop that keeps you going back and doing things. Okay, so you're not going to focus on one thing explicitly? No, you can only get so far if you do that. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, um, just just remind. I know Gareth's going to probably have his a little bit of input now, but I, I want to come back to the non-linear format to do with the film that I saw recently. Okay. Um, and I know we're meander a lot, but you know, I want to finish. I want to give Thirteen Sentinels Age of the kind of juice it needs because you know we are talking about it only one. So, and then we'll come back to mine. So, uh, so Gareth, what what are your takings? What what are you thinking? Well, for me, it sounds uh, an interesting take, especially with the time fragmentation concept. Um, I always quite enjoy um, how a narrative, especially if it's using time jumps to create a non-linear plot point, um, I always enjoy how a writer or an author will try and uh, levy that together. Um, a little bit like uh, John once commented about the how we started with your group of characters in the previous D&D campaign and how they ended up doing lots of very different things but ending up in the same place. Um, Sometimes for me, the issue I have, a little bit like Dan says, uh, with a visual novel is I always feel like the gameplay for some games like that can be a shoehorn because... (sighs) does it really add to the drama of the story by having control of the gameplay? Um, I, I'm not sure because I haven't failed any of the missions yet. I would, I would hope that if I failed any of the missions, then there might be a continuation, but I get the feeling that there probably isn't. Uh, there are branching paths within the story elements, the story side of the game that I've played so far. I haven't noticed any of that on the, the battle. Uh, so it's not noticed. like... Um... Fire Emblem, for example, where the original run of Fire Emblem games up until Fire Emblem Awakening, I believe, um, permadeath was what happened. So if you lost a character in the game, uh, you wouldn't get their epilogue because they died. I would would like to say that the story is stronger in this game than it is in the Fire Emblem games. (laughs) Um, Get that dig in there early. It's okay, John. (laughs) No, I I don't have a problem with the Fire Emblem games per se in terms of story. What I will say is that um, it wouldn't be as easy to to write out characters, to have this this narrative that fits together as well as it seems to be doing so far. 
I mean, I might report back on this next week uh, just to see how it's going. Uh, from what I understand, the game's only about 25 hours long. I, I hope to have finished it by then, by next week. So um, I, I might come back eating some hum humble pie. But uh, for the time being, I'm enjoying this. And um, yeah, uh, the story in Fire Emblem isn't as good as this. So Yeah, Fair that's fine. I mean, Fire Emblem, the narrative is kind of secondary to the fact that it's a series of tactical maps. Yeah. But the, what I'm trying to sort of say is... The issue sometimes, and it makes me think of when I was starting to uh, DM for D&D, uh, &D, uh, one guy basically commenting that, like, sometimes you want to try and railroad your players to be a certain type of character, and you, you sort of take the agency away from the player, whereas you do get a, some a lot of D&D &D people now who seem to think, like, what they call sandbox and open world is the way you do it, and it's like... Oh, you know, our characters are in a free world and we can do everything when it's like there's a combination of on rails and character development of the player. Yeah. And sometimes I won't like um, in a video game, usually, the you know, you're on a rail somewhere down the line. There's a loop yeah. uh, in the narrative, whereas as when a story, when a game is purposely a narrative, a story uh, as 13 Sentinels is. Uh, the gameplay. I feel. I wonder if the gameplay is a secondary issue. I mean, um, yes, I do get that feeling. Um, and I would argue that for me personally, open world games can definitely get boring. Um, yeah, yeah. For me, a story always comes first. Story and characterizations that I enjoy. Um, I, I may be getting lazy in my old age, but I, I want to be told a story. I think people always will crave a structure and a direction. Um, and that's the problem is that lots of people uh, go on about the, the desire for choice. And, you know, Skyrim is brilliant because I can go off and do all these side quests. And the other. It's like, well, yeah, that's true. But you're not going to get anywhere until you finish the game. And then all that happens is the same X amount of side quests will just respawn in the towns and villages. And the thing, as about, a, thing about sorry. Skyrim, though, uh, sorry to interrupt, is that I a lot of people think that the best part of Skyrim is the, <coughs> is the Thieves Guild, right? The Thieves Guild right. part of it. That is as a heavy narrative part of the game as you do find in that game. And lots of people enjoy that particular story and say that's the best part of the game. Well, it's a, it's a narrative heavy part of the game. It doesn't have much to do with the open world part of it. So, yeah. especially from my perspective, when I played that game, um, mm -hmm. that was definitely the, the part I enjoyed most. But yeah. I'm just digging a hole for myself saying that open world games suck. They don't. No. Yeah, but, they, they but, don't. Yeah. It is, yeah. But this I is see where I'm you're saying. going with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's what I'm trying to say is, like, you know, is uh, option paralysis uh, better than, you know, You've got two choices. What you know is option paralysis better than yes or no? Is twenty questions a better game than Cluedo? You know where <laughs> where's this moving? Yeah. Um, so just to quickly wrap it up, John, thirteen Sentinels. Uh, give me your elevator pitch review and how you feel about it. Um, giant mechs, uh, kick-ass uh, storytelling. 
the one of the first lines in the game is get in our robots and fight, which is a strong <laughs> opening line. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It tells I, you what to do, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in my head, I've got the uh, the chaotic dissociative of getting our robot on fight, and it's just like a dr- just a bunch of drunks in a pub climbing to a mech. Hmm. I'm just picturing uh, Voltron on a bender at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, That's the the missing episodes. Yeah. Uh, any negatives quickly before we shuffle along? It's a little bit early for me to have negatives because I'm kind of on a hype train, but um, yeah. that's fine. No, I the combat could have been a little bit deeper, um, but there there is one of the characters did mention that there is some upgrade paths to be taken with the the mechs as well. I haven't actually got into that part of the game yet, so um, I w- I think I will definitely try and complete the game this week. Uh, from what I remember reading, it's not that long a game, and I might come back to it next week <laughs> and just tell everybody how I got on with it. But for now, I'm yeah, enjoying can... the hell out of it. We'll put a segment in for you. Yeah. 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 Um, just I mean, before you move it... on, I, I do want to jump in with my tenant bit, so just... Yeah, yeah. Is, is this a suitable time? Your piece, yeah, go for so, it. So, non-linear formats. Um, whilst I was away, I was away recently. And I went to see the new Christopher Nolan film. Has anyone seen it? Tenet. Is this Tenet? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. And even for a Christopher Nolan film, and I had to. When you have to Wikipedia the trailer to be like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> that trailer. That trailer. You think you know what's happening? You have no idea. No, I'm sure. I have no clue. <laughs> okay then. Okay then. By googling it, you tend to think you know what's happening. You you don't until you see that film. I I went there with my other half. Um, and um, we were two of the only people in the cinema, um, and it's a good two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour film, it was. Um, we went in, and um, we didn't leave for the toilet once. We didn't look at our phones once. We were glued to that screen. That is two movies in one, and that's okay. not an understatement. And even for Christopher Nolan, that was far out, I'm telling you. You, you want to talk about nonlinear, like... The way that that all works is so confusing and yet so satisfying, you know. Some question I just, here is, is Inception a Christopher Nolan? It is indeed, yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember, wasn't, it wasn't a dumb question, but yeah. I, I remember going to see that movie with my sister, my wife, and my sister's boyfriend at the time. And I remember being glued to the screen, having watched it and enjoyed it. And then the drive back, I was driving back, and all the while, more or less giving a, 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 a viewpoint presentation on how the movie <laughs> actually got from point A to point B to point Z. Because um, yeah. nobody else in the car seemed to understand what the hell had just happened. Has anybody Honestly. here seen the movie Memento? Uh, I have not, no. No, I, it's, uh, it's on it's my got, list of shame. I'm yeah. Afraid. It is uh, Guy Pierce is the main character. Yes. And it is... On the DVD, they released a hidden feature to watch the film in chronological order. So the actual time se- sections. Um, but his her character has um, like a cognitive dissonance problem. Mm. And he basically wakes up Fact, and he always he forgets where I he is. I remember this now. I have seen it. I've seen it a very long time ago. When did this come out? 2000. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. The guy with tattoos uh, on and he, Yeah, he covers himself with tattoos that he makes himself by uh, with a needle and a biro. Yeah. And uh, Gary Oldman's in it. 
yep. and Gary Oldman's manipulating him as well. Spoilers uh, for a 20-year-old film, come on. <laughs> joking, I, I remember watching that um, with a, a co-worker after we'd finished a shift, and both of us, the first time, we were like, what? And I watched it again, and it's one of those where like the last three or four scenes really pull everything yeah. together for you. They're like the you know, it's just like a load of loose clothing and then you just do that and you're like, oh my god, yeah. Yeah. So, well, so, so, uh, so, that's another Christopher Nolan film. To bring it back to the game, several <coughs> of the characters have chats about movies that they've watched and have chats just like this in the game. Yeah. So <laughs> See, yeah. it was it was always related when I yeah, brought yeah, it up. It's always related, yeah. Yeah, but um, I, I wholeheartedly recommend... Uh, we're going to move on from this because I didn't want to spend too much time on it. Yeah. Wholeheartedly recommend watching it. Go in there like you're going to have to think about the film. It is not for casual viewing, but when you think about it, I mean, so what, what, there's a major, there's there's a few major twists. I completely missed one of them. Like, I went, okay. But one of them, um, I actually, um, I was I literally had it in my head, and I was like, right. In fact, I, so I did pull out my phone for this, and I typed it into a note. And I put it away and was like, right, I'm going to save that till the end. Um, and I was right about it. So it was it was one of them you think about. It, it's not as, I mean, Inception was like watching that the first time. But I managed to get 10 at the first time, I think. Yeah. There could be many other things I've missed. But yeah, I wholeheartedly recommend. Um, I know we normally talk about gaming on the podcast, but we do also do Meander. So um, Gareth, apologies. Back over to you with that one. Don't worry. Um, so... As I was saying, it's kind of a review week this week, uh, as some people may have heard in the podcast. I've done my best to stifle it. Uh, I am off with illness at the moment. Yes, that illness. Um, and I felt nostalgic and a little bit like when you're poorly as a kid. Uh, one of the things my mum used to do was we used to rent a video out and not allowed to go out. So instead, I cruised the PlayStation Network. Um and there was a game that visually spoke to me, and I'd kind of seen it advertised a little bit before Christmas, uh, but I didn't want to spend £20 on it, uh, so I think I picked it up for about £4.30, and it's a game called Agilos, uh, which has been distributed by PQ, uh, P-Cube, sorry. and the guy who made it is... There is not even a hint of hiding his, uh, his basis. I believe he's called uh, Wonderboy Bovi or Boyi. And Agilos is basically a modern take on the old Monster Boy, or well, the Wonder Boy in Monsterland games, um, which for me, uh, the best one was the second Wonder Boy game, which is Wonder Boy in Monsterland, which was on the Sega Master System, uh, which I used to borrow off one of my cousins. Um, and I never finished it. And it was one of those things where, because of the way my cousins and my birthdays work, is he's 1981 and I'm 1982, but he's January and I'm December. So really, it's two years age difference. Um, and he was that age where like, he was a little bit more competent and a little bit older than me. And I was like six. So you just jumped and spammed buttons. Yep. Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, I finished this game, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, could get fairly far with it, and but like we only used to lend games to each other for a week. Uh, so Agilos is based on Wonderboy Monsterland, and it is kind of uh, it's 16-bit style graphics, and it's a slightly non-linear adventure game, and 
it's very basic. You've got jump, you've got uh, slash. Like the first thing that happens to you is you leave your little house, you walk into the, the next screen, into the forest, and a princess uh, comes running to you. Uh, and basically, she comes under attack to her from a goblin. Uh, you kill the goblin. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the goblin looks remarkably like the uh, Super Nintendo version of the uh, gargoyle from Super Ghouls and Ghosts, known as Firebrand. Oh yeah. Who I think is uh, is he the level one boss? Yes, he is. The red, the red demon. Yep. Uh, he looks like him without the wings on. And you know what? Angry. Is the game as I hard as Ghouls and Ghosts? Yeah. Uh, uh, you beat that guy, you go to the castle, you tell the king that you've got the princess, uh, and then you end up, like all people, it's like, oh, you know, some bad guy's turned up and stolen the elemental powers and worried he's going to create a dark dimension. Uh, Will you go and find the elemental powers? And clearly you just go, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll go on this quest. Uh, hey, hey, John. My life. hey, John, is that not Garrett's D&D campaign? All of my D&D campaigns are very... <laughs> I, was just, I was just, you know, I was just asking the question. I don't want to cause any issues here. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a very, it's very simple platform attack game. And I do, as much as it twinges the nostalgia for me, um, and I think it's a nice little game, I've put about four or five hours into it. Um, it does suffer some of the old, like, 16-bit, uh, like adventure platform game problems, which are like um, judging the range of your sword attack can be really awkward because sometimes the sword looks like it goes further than it actually does. So uh, one of the things many people face. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the other things that I did is I ended up in a town that was completely in the opposite direction to where I was meant to be going. Um, so I ended up buying the level five and. Uh, level five armor and sword just because i was there i was like yeah sure why not um it has some intriguing mechanical choices uh one of the things that i found a problem is at the moment is it has a combination of you have elemental powers from when you collect the items yeah but you also have uh, skill attacks so one of the first things is uh, you meet uh, Master Mole and he teaches you like how to do a jump attack and attack downwards. And then you have Master Flea who teaches you to do a jump and an air slice attack so that you can get increased air mobility like a double jump. So the problem um, I the elemental Sorry. attacks use magic points. I'm going to guess. Do the skill yeah. based attacks You've use got... any sort of metric? They use them? not. No, the metric basically is is that you can use currently you can only use one. Right. So later on, I believe from some of the um, advertisement stuff is that you can do a double air slash and you mm. can do a jumping side slash rather than just a vertical double jump style. Yeah. Uh, one of the issues that I've got and I actually have my controller here is X is jump, square is uh, attack. And circle is the element button. Okay. The problem is you've got with this is all the elements are basically this button and then a combination of directions. Mm-hmm. And one of the issues I've got is, so, for example, I've just learned off Master Flea uh, the jump attack. So it's jump, up, and attack, and then you do the air slash for the second jump. But there's times where I press jump, 
and I'm holding up ready to do the thing, and it will do the air slash attack without me actually touching the square button. Um, so uh, there's some of the reviews that I watched, they were like, oh, the controls are super smooth in this. And I found that some, especially in the fire temple that I'm in, where you have to use the jump attack, it's really frustrating. Or the other frustrating thing I find is with the element button is um, you accidentally, so you, the way I've done them so far is I've done the earth temple, uh, the water temple, and I'm onto the fire temple. How hard was the water temple? Um, it was not as frustrating as the Legend of Zelda, if okay, that's any good. help. I, um, everyone's going to ask that question, so I figured yeah. I would too. Um, and the boss fight was kind of... One of the things with Agilos with the boss fights is they're a weird combination of strategy and just mashing. Um, like, you can, in certain boss fights, if you just stand in the right position, you can just chunk away and then bounce off. Um, is, is that a I'm problem? Not... Yes and no, because there's moments where you feel like this game has like a really good skill level, and then there's other points where it just feels like mashy. Yeah, it just feels n- not that well put together. And I'm sure there'll yeah. be someone who comes across this and they're like, "Oh, you're just a terrible player, and you can't do this, that, and the other." I was going to say, which your is probably true. so far. Like, I would, I would say, if you put those complaints onto Reddit, it would be just like. 50 posts of people just saying, get good. Get good. That yeah, is a yeah. downvote if I've ever seen one, if you put it on Reddit, I'm telling you yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but, like, as a, like, as a narrative, um, like, the little storyline's been quite cool. One of the little missions that I quite liked is um, you go into a town and there's a shop selling a book for 10,000 gold or whatever the currency is. It's just, like, a generic currency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but you talk to this guy in a shop and he's like, oh, if you kill the rats in my basement, I've got a coupon and I want the book from the shop. And then there's like a little problem solving where you, you it's like, oh, if you talk to the guy upstairs and you jump up the platforms, which are the stairs, and one of them breaks and it permanently breaks. So you have to find a, a way outside of the building to get in and stuff. And there's like, there's a lot of great retro nostalgia stuff. And I just feel that, Especially seeing as you have made a game for this style of controller, it's available on Xbox, PlayStation, Switch, and the PC. And I appreciate you wanting that retro nostalgia. But if you've got the options available to do that, why don't you not utilize the technology? Even if. You mean use the all the four buttons, ep- is what you think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's like utilize the technology because. The frustration I sometimes have is if you want to use uh, the bubble attack, so you hold down and then the element, and then you get a bubble shield. Uh, but then if you click it wrong, you accidentally throw the earth attack out. Or now that I've got the fireball, the other thing that might happen is I accidentally throw a fireball, which is just the element button. So am I am I right in saying that there are four basic elements that you can use? Yeah. One, I just assign one of those in a direction to each of the shoulder buttons. Yeah, or why not just sense. use a shoulder button per element? That's, that's what I'm saying. That's, yeah. yeah, like hold down L1 for Earth, and then use a direction button to say, yeah, do a different skill with that element. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do they do they do anything the shoulder buttons in the game? No. 
Nothing at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so, so after after saying that, by the way, Gareth, I, I'd like to like to pitch an idea to you guys. Okay. So I am in an isekai, another world. Okay. And my game is that I'm a rat catcher. Because the number of games that I've heard of in, in fantasy settings where the people have problems with rats, I would imagine that there would be a, a full game's worth of content of you just going around figuring out ways to deal with rats. Because everyone in those fantasy worlds has problems with them, it seems. Yeah. Maybe that's... Me and you could should just go to Wizards and it's like, right, one of the classes, <laughs> rat, rat catcher. catcher. That's not bad, actually. I'll cut that bit out. Let's, Dan, <laughs> Dan, let's cut this bit out of the audio. Okay? Yeah, uh, you're not going to get a rat catcher, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just hard enough to get a class in there. Just a very low level fighter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone's a, a rat John, catcher at low level. We're just talking about rats as a problem oh, and wow. as a plotline. Shining Force 2. <laughs> yes. If it wasn't for rats. <laughs> if it wasn't for rats, yeah. Oh dear. Um, sorry. Oh, it's <laughs> Go on. Uh, but yeah, Angelos, I'm enjoying it, but that one little frustration, which is, I, like, I can understand where, it, like, part of me is like, I get it, it's like, you want it to be retro, and you want it to be, it's very much like the Mega Drive look of Wonder Boy, yeah. uh, because they re-released uh, Wonder Boy 3, Wonder Boy Monsterland, didn't they? Uh, they call it the Dragon's Trap, That's right. uh, I believe, in the re-release. Uh, the artwork looks amazing. Mm-hmm. I do not have fond memories of Wonder Boy in Monsterland, uh, the Dragon's Trap. Um, I, fa- I remember it being, as a kid, uh, frustrating because you had to unlock all the different animal powers to eventually get to the, the last boss. Uh, and then one of the ones that I found weird is that you there was these certain platforms, and they were yellow, and it, apparently they were made of cheese. Sure. And if you were, yeah. And if you were, if you had the mouse power, you could walk all the way around them, so you could like defy gravity and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was not enjoyable. Everyone knows that system. mice become, you know, gravitationally pulled towards cheese. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is. Yeah. This is Although it comes to gravitational center, it's it's also um, it's also false. Actually, <laughs> if you want to attract mice, you want some peanut butter. They actually prefer sweet things as opposed to cheese. Yeah. Ironically, you know, depends on if you got sweet cheese. Then you're why are you not both a game designer, things. Dan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, <laughs> but I did look at uh, Wonder Boy Dragon Trap, and um, I think that that remake was. It looks gorgeous. Looks really good. Yeah, it does. Um, and Agilos basically won because it just turned out to be on sale when I was looking. Yeah. Um, I believe that they've also done a successor series, which is part funded by Sega, which is called Monster Boy. Oh, okay. uh, Which basically follows on with, I'm going to continuously call it Wonder Boy 3, because that's what it was on the Sega Master System. Uh, Wonder Boy 3, uh, Monster Land, Dragon's Trap, whichever term. Uh, And they followed that on um, a little bit more. Uh, I'm aware that they did sort of Wonder Boy on the Mega Drive as well, which was just, I think there was like up to Wonder Boy 7, but some of them were only like um, Japan-only style releases. Um, and I just really miss sometimes that nice sort of simple walking around platform adventure game. Gareth, have you ever tried Spelunky? 
I have not tried Spelunky. I saw you and Dan in chat going on about Spelunky. I feel that that could be something you would very much, uh, at first, enjoy, then get <laughs> horribly frustrated with and want to destroy all of your controllers in the, the, the attempt at besting this game. Because it, it's, it's wonderfully put together. It's wonderfully made. Uh, I find it very, very frustrating, unfortunately. I I, uh, I haven't yet bought it, purchased it. I guaranteed Will Splunky two. We talk. Are you talking about Splunky one or Splunky two or both? Whichever one you want to get. Well, well, Splunky one was a much shorter version of what now Splunky two is, and Splunky two's got a lot of different options. But the indie popularity of Splunky one has spawned a pre, you know, a successor, a sequel. Um, which came out um, at the start of this month, at the end of September. Yeah, and I agree with John. I, I love that. Like, I mean, I watched so much to get that game. I've seen more people play it than I've played hours of certain games, like both Splunky One and Splunky Two. It's just incredible. But yes, I agree with John. You will enjoy. You, you're going to enjoy the caves. Then you're going to get to the jungle, and it's going to be like everything is trying to kill you. Splunky sounds a little bit like. Um... A reimagining of does any did anyone play Pitfall? I I have played Pitfall, but not for a long time because it's. I'm talking. Obviously... I'm talking like proper old school Pitfall because I had a Commodore sixty four. Oh, okay, okay. No, it's so it's not quite that, but it's similarish to a point. Whereas the the um, style is taken from a sixteen bit era, sort of. Yeah, style. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, whereas Pitfall is kind of on two main levels, it looks like I'm looking at it. I've never played it. It's yeah. way beyond my time. Two levels. Um, this is um, you. It's a very similar. You know, it's spelunking. So you go from the top down um, on levels, um, and you just have lots of things along the way that can help hinder, um, just be really annoying, um, as John will confirm. So if you if you think about the opening sequence to Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. is a very good indicator for what Spawnkey is. Yeah. You are you are a guy with a whip trying to get through this area, collect treasure, save the maiden, and progress to the next level. And there are yeah. many, many obstacles in your way to doing that. Yeah, um, a lot like Pitfall, where you're a guy with a whip going through a jungle trying to collect treasure. Um, although, with just as a, an aside to last week's. Uh, topic when i was on about digital card games uh, one of the themes for an eternal set was exploration and one of the factions is called praxis and there's like a lot of explorers and there's giant mechs and stuff that they find buried in the desert and one of the um, characters is it intrepid intrepid expedator or something is called and he he's got a hat and leather jacket and a whip uh, and whenever you play his, his character, whenever an artifact is played, um, he gets plus one, plus one. But uh, his vocal line is, why is it always snakes? Hmm. I, I would have liked to know <laughs> if it was, it belongs to the museum! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or, you know, if he ever goes up against a gun, does he like, uh, against a, a swordsman, does he automatically win? Is that, is that what happens? <laughs> like, you know. That is my favourite part of India. The thing, the thing yes. that's weird with Eternal is uh, one of its selling points is it is in a world where gun. So imagine D and D with a hint of steampunk. So it's there's a lot of swords and um, stuff, but there are there are factions with guns. Like it's like the Wild West meets the medieval times. 
Yeah. Uh, and one of my little favorite archetypes is the archetype called the Valkyries, who are kind of like knights with uh, mech wings, like steampunk mech wings. Uh, yeah. Are pretty cool. Um, but that's an aside. Uh, Agilos, at the moment, a little me is wondering is. Am I being too hard of it because of the nostalgia to other video games where there was like, like the difficulty was in the like relevant to the gameplay and uh, the control system was nice and simple. Um, whereas I'm just wondering if this guy's maybe over egg the pudding there, where he's wanted to add this magic element that wasn't previously in Wonder Boy games. Um, and maybe maybe he didn't want to get sued. <laughs> well. <laughs> He he's not hidden anything with this. <laughs> All right, okay, okay. Like one, the sprite for Agilos is not a million miles away uh, away from I think he's called Shinon from uh, Wonder Boy Seven, which is the Mega Drive version. Uh, all he's done is basically palette swapped him, <laughs> so his hair's like blue, uh, blonde instead of blue. Um, and so, like a lot of the artwork, if you look at Agilos. Um, it looks very familiar. It's very stylized, um, and it's very much that sort of chibi anime slash villain look. Yeah, um, and I think like there's a lot of stuff that I like about Agilos. I think like the bait, like I was about to say, is like maybe because I'm on like Temple three out of probably five. Is the re- is the problem that is like because I've been playing it. Not I've played it like an hour or so a day uh, since I've been off, and it's like, is it but my experience of playing these kind of games, and I've kind of like, I have churned through some of the plotline and narrative quite quickly, and like, as I say, I accidentally acquired armor and weaponry, which was beyond where I was meant to be, because it's got item slots, oh, pardon me, it's got item slots. And when it's like weapon one, weapon two, gap, gap, weapon five, <laughs> gap, gap, armor five, um, you know. See, I, I, is I've that played, a with its non-linear styling? I've played like some of these remake, sorry, quotes remake sort of games, and I actually find them a bit boring. I, mm. I have nostalgia for so many games of the past. I mean, I've, I said in episode one, like. I've been playing video games since I was three, and I said before that I can be some, somewhat cynical of video games nowadays because my experience is so ancient, um, yeah. for lack of a better word. Um, but when video game developers try to make these games that hark back to older, more nostalgic times, that in my opinion, it, it must be incredibly difficult because they have to be walking the tightrope of making it so much like the old stuff that you enjoy it from a nostalgic point of view, but not making it so simple as older games tended to be that they're boring. Yeah. Or for me, at least, it might be different for other people, but that always seems to be the issue that I find with these nostalgic pieces. Um, another one that I'm thinking of is Sonic Mania, which was a big release. Uh, I know it's not an RPG and probably doesn't belong in this discussion, yeah. but... It's the one I remember. Well, no, it's a, it's a retro formatting, and it was a yeah. retro reformatting because one of the I, me and you spoke about it. And I thought what was really uh, clever is they harked back to other Sonic games, like uh, Doctor Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine is one yep. of the boss fights. Yeah, in one of the levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did 
they did something that uh, none of the other Sonic games from that era did, which was they changed a lot of the mechanics um, from the from level to level, and the the levels changed themselves, which most of the Sonic games from that time never did either. Um, and they they did little hints and tricks just to just to change the the way that the game was being played and kept me going. If if it wasn't for those things, I think I wouldn't have finished it. Um, yeah, it just I, got bored by yeah. the continuous repetitiveness. So yeah, yeah, because the mechanics aren't that deep. If you go back to an old game like Sonic the Hedgehog, for example, it's kind of a one-note game. Like even the Mario games, which yeah. are a lot deeper than a lot of the games back then. I think that's why they hold up so well. They they drop off. Like I, I I'm not sure if I could get the, all the way through like Mario One these days. As much as I enjoy that that thing, and I have no nostalgia for it, I think I might just get bored. Yeah, I I don't know how. You, do you guys feel the same way about this kind of thing? This is this is kind of what I'm saying is the problem with Agilos, Yeah, which is like the first hour, hour and a half, I was in and I was hooked, and the magic power didn't bother me because I only had one. Yeah. But now I've got so many and they all use the same button feature. Yeah. And if I'm not quick enough, it's the wrong thing. Um, and there's another pet peeve, actually, and I'll mention it quickly, is when you get the water power, it says, oh, if you hold jump while you're in your bubble, you float. That's not true. You have to press jump and hold down the element button as you're jumping to make the float function work. Because I was there for absolutely ages, and I was like, "Oh, I clearly know how to get to this door. I'm meant to float, and you just jump off the edge, and you just go, <laughs> and you can only replenish your magic by hitting something. And once you've oh. killed everything in a room, it's one of those games where you have to leave the the segment, and then everything respawns. And I was just like, "What's going on?" Like, and I even went back to the tutorial page, and I was like, "No, it just says hold jump." Yeah, it's it's nice. Right and, and, and then and then my brain was like, just do it with the element, do it while holding the element button, and it works. But now that I've got the fire element, if you hold down the element button, you can create a, a portal with two fire things. So it's like now I'm jumping, floating, and accidentally creating a fire portal. So I'm using <laughs> I'm using fifty percent of my magic power. Um. Come on, Grandad, get get a grip. Yeah, yeah, um, clearly. Just, just before we jump <laughs> on to the next topic, I do yeah. just want to go back to John's point a little bit, which is, yes, we would get bored if they were just basic side-scrollers like they used to be. Do you want to know why? We've been spoiled by yeah. procedurally generated worlds. That's that's the, that's part of what I feel is a major problem. Ignoring the storytelling telling element of most stories. So now you think about um, if uh, you know we're talking about all types of things. So Spelunky, procedurally generated. I played Binding of Isaac like nobody's business, procedurally yeah, generated. Yeah, exactly. You know, and even talking about the DT- DTCGs like you know Monster Train, all you know Slay the Spire, the the paths you take and everything's randomized. It's all procedurally generated now. I yeah. I would argue that there have been some absolutely formative games that have ruined that kind of thing as well. Uh, in particular, my mind goes straight to Metal Gear Solid and yeah. the level of depth that is in that game. That's not procedurally de- uh, generated. That's like a-, a team working on crunch for two years non-stop coming up with highly interactive worlds and a bonkers story that goes on top of it. I can, uh, In a similar uh, generational point, uh, the Resident, e- first Resident Evil game. Yes. 
and I'm going to make this uh, counter argument, which again, uh, tons of programming and stuff. Me, John, and three other guys at school all played Resident Evil when it came out. And all of us said that something, and the other one of us went, I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. We all finished the game. We all got the same ending. I never finished but it. You... Oh, <laughs> it, the truth comes out now. The majority of us finished the game. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is, like, you can meet Barry in so many different locations, or you know, you can interact as a. You can, if you go at one point, you can meet Wesker randomly, still in the mansion before he is feigning his injury and stuff. Uh, when you're playing as Chris, you can bump into Rebecca in different rooms. There's different interactions and different scenes. Um, the own like there's a couple of things that are the same, but you, I bet you, uh, you could get five people playing Resident Evil in the same room, and as long as they're all like, "Oh yeah, I've played the game before," no one's like, "Oh, tell me what you did in this room." I bet you, you could sit in the middle of that room and you'd hear different dialogue and you'd get different uh, pathways through the game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. A, a bit like, but whereas Metal Gear Solid, you can get uh, different dialogue and stuff because it was Easter egged in. Yep. And, you know, Hideo Kashima is uh, an absolute madman. He really uh, But I think Resident Evil, for me, trumps Metal Gear Solid just for the fact that people were like, well, what happens if we did this instead? And there's like three or four little minute details that change and you can it can dramatically change the plot line as well or your experience of the characters that you meet in the room yeah i i would argue that uh having your um brother uh reanimated via a chopped off hand from another character is uh untrumpable um, <laughs> that's not a word but i'm gonna make it one untrumpable yes untrumpable. um there's probably negative connotations next to that word already because of the Beyond orange one involved. On. Let's move on. <laughs> Moving on, though. <laughs> well, Let's from about- my uh, nostalgia-laden retro desires of gaming, uh, we're going to go on to what we were joking about with Dan uh, as being a new venture, but the re-exploration that is Baldur's Gate 3 uh, <laughs> and what I think is mostly Dan and John's interest or potential lack of interest in this newly developed game, which has, um, it made me think of something that John bro, bro I've turned into the broadsword bro. guy. Broadsword. Broadsword. Uh, me and Oscar, Oscar has become obsessed with that video after he caught me watching it. Yes. Um, so my son, occasionally when he's playing Fortnite, he'll be just shouting at his friends broadsword and no one knows what he's on about. <laughs> Kids are great like that. Um, but from what John was saying, uh, when we mentioned Spellbreak uh, the other week, um, one of the issues I think people have had with Baldur's Gate 3 is that it's a like a founder's pack, as they like to call it, uh, and it's a lot of money in. And I remember saying to John, oh, I saw the trailer for Spellbreak, and it looked very interesting. And then I showed John the pricing for what was beta access. Uh, yeah. From what I remember, for Spellbreak, the beta access was £55, £80, 
best value at 99.99 though. Oh yeah, no, give me the in-game what? currency and everything that goes with it. <laughs> well, I mean, so <laughs> let's talk Baldur's Gate. I, let's hand it over to Dan. I'm sure he has scripts. <clears throat> So I have a lot to say on this subject, unfortunately, as you can probably tell. Um, sorry, I did just peek out the mic then. Uh, that's why I twisted my head quickly. Um, where do I begin? So first off... You know it's going to um, be good when the disappointment peeks out the microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so first off, I did raise this point just before, but we said we were going to hold off. What happened to game demos? Remember when you used to be able to download like a 15, 30 you know, minute game demo? Now, just to get the game demo, you have to pay the full price to get early access and you will not get full access for at least a year is what they're saying i think me and john have some fond memories of playstation magazine and demo discs so i I, I said it xbox was the same for me yeah Yeah. uh do Um, you remember bloody raw john i do remember bloody raw or the tekken 2 demo disc how many hours did we i think that tekken 2 demo disc stopped working because we actually scratched (laughs) the hell out of it just from playing Yeah. And you only had two characters. You only had, what was it, uh, John? John and, and uh, Lee, is it? I, He's the, he was like Lei. the Jackie Chan character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lee Oolong. That's right. So well, I, uh, I would actually argue with that opening statement from Dan, uh, if, I may, if I may have the floor for a moment. <coughs> you, you may begin, yes. Excellent. Yes. So demo discs were viable because the, you are only taking up 100 or 200 megabytes of a disc. Um, these games these days have high definition uh, textures and uh, polygons and everything that goes into a game that makes these games pop these days um, and I don't think you could deny that actually Baldur's Gate 3 looks very very good I, I, yeah. I'm impressed with how the game looks Yeah, it, I'm, I, it, has, yeah. it has this distinctively um, Dragon Age origin, Origins feel about it which I hold up as a very very good game of uh, yeah. a fancy style, um, I think having a demo for <laughs> all that would be a good idea. I just I'm not sure how people how Larian Studios would be able to carry on going without also, outside on a brief, help. As my uh, interjection, if you were to do a game like Baldur's Gate, the limitations you'd be what one race, one class, just as a as a taster. I mean, you could do. I'm, I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to think what they they would do. Yeah, you you could do yeah. like a, a scene or, or two for a, for a demo. It is possible. I'm not. I'm not going to deny that. I'm just thinking for them, they have to do this. I would imagine because they're probably bleeding money. I mean, they're yeah. not a big yeah. studio. They're taking on a monumental project such as they are. I mean, for them, it's probably like the project of a lifetime. Well, let's I, they, well, let's let, let, let's scale on, it back sorry. a little bit. Go so, on. Larian Studios, yeah, you, you know what they produced just before Baldur's Gate Three, uh, Divinity Original Sin, Divinity Original Sin One and Two, yeah, and that wasn't that wasn't a small game. In, no, no, it was in 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 the subsets. You know, they had the money and stuff like that. But if we do go back to the, um, you know, they weren't a big studio. Um, they will be now because um, within the first two days of release, they had seventy thousand concurrent players on Steam. Good. So those seventy thousand people have, pay, have paid the sixty pound each, you know. So that is that is fair enough. I'm not sure what's happened with Garrett just there um, yeah. on the video. On the video, <laughs> he's been visited by an angel. It seems like. Yes, it does look like it. Um, Light is shining yeah, down upon him. You know, they, so they got a lot of viewers, and it, they're going to earn the money from it. I would hope, you know, to to be able to continue it. But then the second aspect is the whole 
um, they've said that you know it will be at least a year before the the full version is released. At least a year. They didn't put a date and time on it. And as far as I'm concerned, if a company doesn't do that effectively, then I'm I feel like I'm I would just be paying for the continuous development of it. You know that might never happen. I, I'm a very goals orientated person. I mean, so, that, that's fine. I I would argue that they're being upfront by saying that it's not going to be ready for a year. Um, I haven't bought the game. I, I considered it, but I haven't bought the game. I want to see more. And yeah. that's how everyone should be. If, if people want to get in on the game, they have to do that with the caveat, knowing that they are not getting a full game. And if they don't like that, they should, you know, decide with their money. That, I mean, that's yeah, the that's- adage that everyone uses. Decide with your dollars, with your wallet. Yeah. That's and exactly what that. I'm doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm doing the exact same. I'm watching. I'm going to watch it. I mean, going back to your graphical items, you, you are entire, entirely right. You know, there are several um, graphical, you know, just incredible graphic scenes that I've seen. Now, there's a couple of issues where, like, um, I saw a couple of like spell effects where it was bleeding I, through. Apparently, there are some T poses going around as well. Yes, there are. Yeah, and, and also just awkward mechanics through doors and things like that. But I suppose this is why you come out in early access. Yeah. Um, and you know these things are available, but um, I will probably, and this is now going to be the crux of what we're about to discuss, as far as I'm concerned. I'll probably still not put any money into it because there, because it is a D and D franchise, or not not quite a franchise in the same respect, but it it takes a lot of its law from D and D, the World of Fear, and etc. Um, it had to have a, a Wizards of the Coast designer on it, and. Um, the Wizards of the Coast designer that they elected to put on this game, of all games, is a gentleman by the name of Mike Merles. And I hesitate to even call him a gentleman um, because is he, a he has <laughs> he, No, he has had several... Uh, he's beyond a cat, I would think. Um, <laughs> let's put it this way. So he was on D&D 4th Edition. That went real well anyway. Um, and was skipped over for 5th Edition. Became a co-producer on 5th Edition eventually. Then the person he was producing with walked out, right? Never to be seen again. Okay. Um, and and all of a sudden, then Mike Mills was removed from fifth edition. Okay. There so is why. Um, first off, <laughs> it was his very abrasive attitude. Every employee apparently hated him, but because okay. he's a lifer, because he's a lifer with Wizards of the Coast, it probably cost more for them to you know, give him his marching papers than to hide him away somewhere. And you know what? To be fair, it was okay up to a point because they took him off 5th edition um, late 2018 and 5th edition continued to come out. And um, whilst you might not have noticed it, the the first few books that came out in 5th edition are very... He he has particular views. So one is his particular views on the difference between races and races in D&D. And they, 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 they strike me as someone who should not be producing books that may influence especially teenagers and you know if you're trying to teach a younger person this first off because he was very strong and adamant that some races are better than others no matter what what and that has heavy undertones anyway yeah that's okay great uh, okay he was reportedly it- i'm saying reportedly here, misogynist to multiple people in the workplace multiple people left including one of um one of the only black female designers who left, and um, so there's there's a lot of things that happened, and, and and I just want to finish off the story of these are all allegedly's, mm-hmm. but to be to be on fourth edition and then moved because you had certain ideas to fifth edition to then be a co-producer and then 
be, be just taken off two years ago. And the books have since improved in quality, by the way. A lot of changes are happening. You know, uh, so Cobalt races and Orc races had negative penalty points. Mm. They had a negative to strength and negative to intelligence. They now won't have that from t- tomorrow. So things have improved. So he was taken off 5th edition. And he was kind of hidden away. No one knew where he'd gone. Baldur's Gate 3! All right, I would... How how much of your dislike of the Baldur's Gate three project goes solely on this man's shoulders? A good eighty percent, eighty percent, easy. I I feel like you're you're projecting, sort of like projecting a little bit. And oh, I sort am. Of like, I am. Uh, polluting your your feelings on this guy onto the hard work of hundreds of other people. Unfortunately, no. I'm, I mean, I hundred percent am. But then this goes to the review that I was reading before, um, which is. Um, that the um, the game the game's rendering engine is incredibly beautiful, which was exactly what we discussed. Mm. Um, but the characters that it actually renders are shallow, trite, and frequently downright hateful. It, and the storyline, uh, because I, I of the, their, um, because of their opinions on the other races and their opinions towards each other. Now, I don't want to give too much of the story away, but you would have seen it in the trailers and you'll have seen it being played. There is an element of mind flayers have come to take over things and uh, yeah. over people and stuff like that. And apparently the storyline focuses not necessarily on helping other people, but on uh, improving yourself and getting this sorted with yourself only and thinking only about yourself to the point where some quests you can completely refuse to help other people as opposed to be given any option to help them. And... It's it's kind of that that negative aspect about the shallowness of them, and they're only thinking about themselves without the option. Now, this is what 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 what's why it's connected to me. If there was an option, if there was a distinct option, help this person, don't help this person, and you chose not to help this person. Well, that's the game. You know, you've made an option. It's exactly the same as we talk about any story based thing. You know, you're going to make an option not to help this person because it's maybe in your character's interest. Maybe it's the way you want to play your character. Well, that's but a to bit not like be given. Red Dead Two, isn't it? Where there was a guy who streamed Red Red uh, Red Dead Redemption Two, and he decided he was going to purposely murder all the suffragettes. Now, that's not a choice of the game. That's not a narrative decision. That's a player choice. Yeah, exactly. And I, I can understand where you're coming from. Uh, if the game. <sighs> Because Baldur's Gate is a pseudo-open world game. So you should feel that there is a slight sandbox element. There should be like a couple of choices open to you. I can save this guy. I cannot save this guy. That's yeah. fine. Um, if the option is literally self-preservation, I've not played the game and I don't understand how the narrative has been put to me. So there's certain games, again, a Resident, I mean, Resident Evil self-preservation but occasionally you get these minor characters who are who you can help or they help you. Yeah. So it's all down to the context. And uh, I think John's concern is that your context is there was this guy, He has he's known for these opinions. Wizards of the Coast is a harbour for these problematic employees. Uh, Magic the Gathering artists, tons of magic artists. Yeah, uh, yeah, Noah, yeah. Brad- Noah Bradley being super prominent of recent who they were these guys and they basically use their position to get women they'd pressure women into having sex with them and then they were like slut shaming among like oh if you don't have sex with me i'll just tell other people in the community that you're you're a whore anyway and they'll believe me because i've got uh i've got uh precedent in this community you got over you yeah yeah 
Um, and I can understand that negativity and I can understand that's a, a bad connotation. Uh, Wizards of the Coast have done everything they can to distance themselves from Noah Bradley. It was an unfortunate moment, though, that they released a set literally with tons of Noah Bradley art in it just after he made the announcement, but they'd already printed the product. Um, uh, yeah. So he, he gets his commission. I mean, I can't argue too, too hard because I haven't done as much research into it as you have, Dan, and I obviously haven't played the game. I would like to at some point in the game when there's more of it available to actually play, but I don't know. I I understand where you're coming from, and if that is the case, then that is a bit of a downer because uh, obviously I just put like 20 minutes into arguing how important story is for me, uh, for myself and in games. Um if that's true, then that's that's definitely a knock against it. Um, yeah, I mean, like like I said, it, it's just I'm just going to walk, you know, walk with my wallet, so to speak, exactly as you said, which is I'm not going to go, I'm not going to buy Baldur's Gate probably. You know, I might watch it being played, but part of my part of it is part of what I'm thinking about is influenced by that. I love Divinity Original Sin two. I love Baldur's Gate two. You know, and and the idea of the Baldur's Gate. Three was a bit like it was a bit interesting because it involves illithids, as you will have seen in the trailer, yeah. and if you've watched any of the game. Um, but I just feel that I mean to have him to have him be the official, you know, Wizards of the Coast director on it is is one thing. But then to also whether whether those two are connected, and this is important. I, I will preface this: the fact that in the you know one of the first missions is about. Um, this illithid, um, this this thing, basically, uh, this illithid, basically, that you've got to um, either help or kill civilians. That's the choice you're given. So it's kind of that's that's what I'm on about. It's it's all it's that that is the only viewpoint that I can see on it from what I've read and what I've seen up to now. So whether those two are connected, whether the person who is now um, one of the directors on it, one of the you know pro- uh, production directors on it. And that that kind of role playing element is connected. I couldn't tell you. I wouldn't yeah. know. But the fact that he's on it already puts me off. That very one of the very first missions just kind of says to me, not really sure whether it's my thing. It, it looks real nice, but if they're going to continue down this way, you know, I, I, I probably so, won't buy it. So, are you upset that they don't give you a more grey area option? In that yes, it's it's. I, th- I think. They're considering things black and white. I mean, so basically, that um, what happens is um, there is um, an illithid who is trapped, okay. um, and he knows that he's not going to, or he or she, I'm not entirely sure, knows that um, that that they're not going to be able to get out of this rubble alive. Um, so what they're doing is they've convinced three some villagers that they're a child and that they're trying to pull this child out of the rubble. Okay, and then. You ha- you either have to pass a really difficult charisma check, mm. right, to convince these villagers that actually that's an illithid. You just leave it, and we'll we'll sort it. However, we're going to sort it, or the civilians attack you, and you have to kill them. I mean, maybe maybe the the designers of the game want you to feel like there is no choice in that particular aspect, and that's yeah. that's the 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 take that they they want you to have. Because I mean, I I remember from the the two other Divinity games that. Larian are actually one of the better companies for making grey aspects of choice available to to the player character. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I I find that I, I can't obviously speak too highly of it 
because it, it sounds a little bit like it's boxing you in. Um, but I would imagine that's that's just a a way that they are trying to get you into a particular mindset with that character, or they want you to hate that character because they're making you make this choice. Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, perhaps <clears throat> they're just trying to create the they're trying to create the basic narrative railroad, which is like they want you to believe that this is a child as well. Yeah. Well, now if there were okay. if there are other you know other um, choices or lack of choice in that perspective later on in the game, and it, it continued to happen, then definitely I would be highly you know skeptical of it. But mm. just there aren't enough. There isn't enough for me to go on to to just damn it right now. I yeah yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, like like said. Um, it is just one element of it, and and that's that's of what I've seen and what and the, the 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 review that I've read. Um, so please, you know, do do your own kind of looking into it and things like that. I'm not I'm not. I, this is my opinion, 100. percent But yeah. I, I, and this is this is why I'm I'm a little bit shocked. I did play Divinity Original Sin two. You got four options basically in every dialogue. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this, you got two, and that's that's kind of. How much of that is the influence of the D and D aspects of it? Has anyone yeah. actually but, like, spoken from Larian Studios? I, I, I mean, I would imagine that there are a lot of people unhappy with this particular scenario. So, has there been any official word from them saying like this is just the way that we wanted the story to go, or uh, maybe they haven't put other choices into the game yet? It is mm. early access. There, there is still you know time for them to pull back on this particular yeah. and say, hey. I mean, also with D and D being listed as a. Like as Dan will understand from it as a DM, you know there is um, skill check levels thirty to thirty five, which is an impossible skill check. Um, so it's purposely like you can you can try, you can do anything you want, but you're not going to get there. Yeah, and uh, and that's sometimes used by like a DM in a rule what a rule zero kind of scenario where like the DM might instead of going oh this is rule zero what I say goes he'll go okay. I'll set the skill level and I'll purposely set it to an impossible factor yeah. um, without getting my DM screen from just behind me and loading it in front of the camera. Um, it Maybe it's just a case of currently, as John says, it's early access and they've failed to create the level of immersion I mean, uh, relevant for that scenario. I mean, I'm sure that Larian doesn't want another Mass Effect 3 on the hand. They don't want yeah. it. They don't want the people to scream and shout <coughs> on, on their virtual message boards and tell them, this isn't what we want. We need you to change this. I'm sure they yeah. don't want that scenario. I mean, now is still a good place for them to change it if they need to. It's, yeah. I just looked up and it was, up to now, what's been released is 25 hours worth of content and one-fifth of the game's world maps. They've included 16 races and six classes up to now with more to be added. I'm not sure what that more is, whether it's more races, whether it's more classes. So there is still room for the movement here. Um, but, you know, Devil's Advocate, they have pulled off, you know, a really good early access. Like I said, they had 70,000 concurrent players. So that, that is worth it in my eyes, as far as I'm concerned. Like, you know, they might be getting those in. Those people really want to play it. They're going to get the full game, etc. It was so so popular, the, the early access, that Steam had issues in the first hour or something like that. So. You know, I can kind of see that aspect, but changes need to be made. Um, thankfully, it's not engine changes because they typically are the worst ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I feel a shoehorn like that 
from the same company that made Divinity Original Sin, where you had options galore. I don't know. I, I don't know what how I, I like. I said I don't know how much is the 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 design for the game and how much is the design input from um, a certain Wizards of the Coast yeah. designer. I mean, producer. with Wizards of the Coast being mentioned, like they their books and games do put a lot on racial traits, racial features, and statistics. So this is part of the reason I'm excited for. I think it's in a couple of weeks. Uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything because it actually puts the onus on your class choices rather than your racial traits yeah. as to how your skills and your character building works. And you get a lot more flexibility, yeah. Yeah, um, and it's actually designed to... It's basically like a soft reset on character building in places. So instead of it being like, oh, you know, being a human's really good because I get plus one to everything. Uh, so uh, that's 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 that block it's like yeah but you might you can be any race you want but the the key factors are going to be more the fact it's like what job did you take um what class have you taken they're going to have more of a feature i think they're going to uh, purposely edge background in more as well yeah um to for the character building things because there's times where i was I think I don't know if I shared it with you guys. The Joe Cat crap guide to D and D, the character sheet, and he's basically on about how the change from fourth edition to fifth edition and the use of things like bonds and flaws and stuff like that uh, to help you actually not just be a stat block with a class. Yeah. You know, to actually, try and help you develop some RPG. Those. I have actually used yeah. it to help me roleplay. Uh, I would yeah. like to say uh, probably my final word on Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, Dan, you mentioned that the early access has 25 hours of content uh, and it's £50. I paid £50 for this game that we were talking about at the beginning of the show and it apparently is about 25 hours long. So as Devil's Advocate, yet again, um, yeah. I would say that you know, if you're going to get more value out of that later on, uh, as as I intend to to do, to wait until uh, buy it then. But if you're okay with spending fifty pounds on a game that you're going to get twenty five hours of content out of, go ahead. I yeah. And form your own opinions, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. Or you know, uh, wait a little bit, which is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, I hundred percent agree both for the cost and and Garrett's you know previous point. In terms of the cost of this, there are there are going to be some games out there that you're going to spend an amount of money on, and you're going to think probably a little bit expensive. But I really love the game. And then there's also going to be games where you spend a lot of money on, it and you think, Jesus Christ, I'm never going to finish this. Yeah. You know, there's there, there's going to be there's going to be the extremes because not every game design is the same, which is good. Yeah. But um, but yeah, just just again to to sum up my final point on Baldur's Gate three is um, I go into it having a negative opinion, so that does shade a lot of what I'm saying. However. It has been proven by the first reviews in the first um, few hours that I've seen played. Um, whether those are connected, whether the first is connected with the latter, I'm not sure. Um, however, um, yeah, I don't. I, I'm not quite, not exactly a fan of the kind of putting. I mean, they re, you know refer to them as monstrous races and stuff like that. Um, I, I'm not a fan of the way that they word it like that as an example. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, it's a summer half orc is a monstrous race, but it's classified as a standard race in the player's handbook. So, um, 
we will see what happens with Baldur's Gate 3. I do hope that they pull it back. If they if they just had a third option, add the grey area option in, that's all I want. Yeah. You know, that's, I all mean, I that's all I'm asking for. Just quickly, like, um, pull back to me. Uh, Agilos, I would not have spent the £20 retail price on. I would, if it was £20, my opinions of it, instead of it being like, you know, it's a great little trip down memory lane with a frustrating, one frustrating control feature. Yeah. I would, I'd actually be like, for 20 quid, you know, I want this, this, and this. Like, one of the game, I actually, this week, uh, one of the games I was looking to purchase after we mentioned it last week, and I was still hoping it was on sale, but it hasn't, the PSN sale changed, is I was like, you know what, I might pick up that Digimon game. I've got nothing else to do. And, you know, it, I, I wanted that nostalgia vibe, and I wanted something that I had some relatability to. But oh. also, it had, like, the um, the combination of um, being Digimon and a sleuth game interested me. But in my How eyes, it, it, $44.99. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure it was on sale yeah. for, like, a third of that as well. It was... Yeah. It This Monday was the change of the PSN sale. Yeah. So it went from uh, the big in Japan sale to um, generations or whatever they call it, and then it's going to go in about a month to the Christmas sales. Okay. Um, but this is the value, and I'm sure we've all also had an experience with. I've had it with video games. I've had it with animes. I've had it with books. And you what read the first fifty pages. You watch the first ep- two episodes. You play the first hour. And it is horrible. But then for some reason, there's like just that little twist, that little change, that little direction uh, move or that little like just that little change. And you go from, you know what, the first couple of episodes of that anime are hard. But then when such and such a character appears, it, it just takes off. It's amazing. Or, you know, I was playing such and such a game, but. Like the first hour was really dull, but then this event happens, and then I was in. You yeah. know, but I've yeah. also had games. Sorry, what you're describing is the Netflix series of The Witcher. Yes, yeah, you are. Yeah. You are 100. <laughs> yeah. You, you, but yeah. then, have you also had the rever- And then it's like equal the other way, where it's like, oh my god, like I put the game in. Wow, the title sequence is amazing. Wow, the opening cutscene is amazing. Wow, this opening gameplay is amazing hours two and three and you're like this is meant to be a 40 hour game I've, oh. I've just not got this anymore just... it's not quite hour two and three it was much more like hour 40 and 50 but Game of Thrones oh. <laughs> <laughs> on, on that bombshell <laughs> yes indeed uh, by the way you have just given me the topic for next um, podcast definitely um, but uh, yeah I, I agree um, You draw your own conclusions that's all we can yeah. say I am very jaded by uh, several things that are out in the D&D sphere. But if you like a game, buy it. Show them you like it. Show yeah. your developers, whether it's an indie one, whether it's a uh, you know a Japanese developer famous for things like that, or whether it is as something that is going to get bigger as Larian. So, um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think this evening has been a very mixed bag. Uh, on opinions. Um, Down the downer. Okay, you can yeah, just say it, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Not <laughs> at all. I think, like, we we just, me and John just chipped in with our comments, and you were like, actually, there was like a little look on your face, you're like, actually, maybe I am holding this one guy accountable. But 
you still watching it and that's how you're going to find out if you're going to be interested in the future. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like going to the gym. You don't go to session one and session two and you're suddenly ripped. You're like, you what know is, what? What is this gym you, you mentioned? I think I know uh, it. I think he's down the road. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. The one, yeah. the one I know is stateside. Um, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it's a slow burner rather than, you know, you're straight in. Yeah. And from what you've said, like, knowing sort of the source material, that kind of game has never really grabbed me and I think John tried to get me to play one of the Boulders Gate games a couple of years ago. I but mm, yeah. It's one it, of the one like, the like ones I said when we first started talking about when we first started talking about Boulders Gate three, I, I think if you wanted to play one of those or for anyone else that's interested in that kind of game, either play the original Divinity Original Sin, which is fairly cheap nowadays, or you could play Dragon Age Origins, which has aged really, really well. Um, yeah. I, I, I actually have wanted to play that again at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was made during the time when uh, Bioware was at their peak when they were making the Mass Effect games. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a real great game. You know. You know what that means, John. What's that? It's gonna be it's gonna be on EA Access on the uh, Xbox Game Pass pretty soon. Oh, <laughs> That's gotta be. Reason, just another reason to have the Game Pass. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just to finish off what Gareth said, I, again, and I know I, I don't want to go keep going around to it, but yeah, yeah. yeah, you've said it exactly right, especially on this topic, which is um, his potential involvement, Mike Mills' potential involvement in the game means I'm not going to buy it outright. Doesn't mean I'm not I'm not going to watch it. You know, I'm not I'm not com- that completely negative against it because I'm going to watch it and see see whether it does strike me as that's a one off, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Maybe it's not all like that. Maybe it is worth it. I don't know. I won't buy it probably whilst in early access. I'll wait until it's out. But yeah, don't, you know, never just jump to conclusions in that sense. You know, always look at it a little bit further, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> always watch, I mean, at least. Watch if not buy. Yeah. I mean, this is, the, this is going back to the example of demo discs, is we've got Twitch and the streaming sites if you're if you're unsure about a game, there's probably someone being paid to play it for you to see it. And YouTube. don't forget yeah. YouTube. Uh, Roleplay Life sweet, podcast YouTube. on YouTube. Uh, we also do videos <laughs> of these things. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, you know, there's always a source of finding out what's out there um, or learning something. And yeah, the like best on this thing, podcast, and, yeah. and it's free, and it's free. Just like this podcast, uh, search for Roleplay Life Podcast uh, on your uh, iTunes or any other way you get your podcast into your ears. iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, although not on John's Alexa, but that's beside the point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've listened to it on Spotify the other day and try not to cry too much when I hear my own voice. So, Did you like the uh, robot? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I I quite enjoyed on the YouTube video where John's little uh, edition... The microphone that uh, John uses looks very similar to this style of microphone, which I've used for nearly 15 years in bands, um, opposed to the fancy microphone that I bought for trying to do a podcast with, which turns me into Optimus Prime. I think that's everything for this evening. It is. Um, I think that's the end of everything. Um, we will... Hopefully be back same time, same back channel, same back time, same back folk. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody.
Good night. Good night. Au revoir. Bye now.